The Bible Study Podcast, episode 582. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the kings of Judah with 2 Kings 18. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Yes, just the study of the kings of Judah. Again, with last week's episode, we finished up the story of Israel and the kings of Israel. But we continue on because we've left Judah and we left them in kind of bad shape. They didn't have a particularly good king the last we heard, someone who was not faithful to God. And we've got Assyria who has just taken away Israel. They are definitely become one of the first superpowers here in the region. And Judah is under pressure. Chapter 18, Hezekiah, king of Judah. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nuhushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Well, we get here as a palate cleanser here for the destruction of Israel, the best king since David. And I say that with little hesitation here because we've gotten so many good kings who are good but, right? They're good, but they don't remove the high places. He removes the high places. He smashes the sacred stones. He tears down the Asherah poles. He returns the people to the worship of God the way they were taught. And then there's this odd thing here that there's this bronze serpent. And I don't know if you remember the story of the bronze serpent. This comes from Exodus. The people are unfaithful to God. Tell me if this sounds familiar. And so God sends serpents among the people, and they're biting people, and people are dying. And they say, oh my gosh, we've sinned. Moses, tell us what we can do. He goes to God, and God says, raise up a bronze serpent. And when people look up to that, they will be healed. And God uses that as the means of their deliverance. And we hear about that bronze serpent only a couple times. Jesus also says, as the bronze serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and uses that to talk about his crucifixion ahead of time. But the other thing we learn about this is they forgot that it was God they were unfaithful to and God who delivered them, and the bronze serpent is just a bronze serpent. And so they start worshiping the serpent. They start offering incense to it, forgetting that this was the means by which God redeemed them, not God. And so it's important for us also, we don't 
tend, most of us, to have a lot of idols around the house in forms that are obvious. What we have are other things that get between us and God. Money is probably one of the big things. Power, as we've talked about, which is you know the sin of that Jeroboam son of Naboth, where we put what we're trying to achieve in front of God and what God is trying to achieve, whether that be politically, career-wise, uh, all sorts of different ways of doing that. But we're still raising up some other idol. And even things that are good in our life, like this bronze serpent, can become an idol if, if it becomes too important, if it becomes out of balance with our relationship with God. Continuing on, in King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it, so Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Hala, in Gozan, and in the Habor River, and in towns of the Medes. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. This is a little bit of repeat there. We heard that. We're just hearing it now from Hosea's point of view. But there's a reason for that. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Jacob and captured them. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold from which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. So Assyria is starting to become a problem with Judah as well. Now remember that Judah had actually called for Assyria to step in with that problem they were having with the neighbors, with Israel, no longer a problem with that neighbor, and also with the king of Aram. And again, they stepped in, they just took them both away, but now they have become a problem for Judah as well. And so Hezekiah, who has apparently just recently recovered the doors of the temple of the Lord, has to strip off that gold and send it to Assyria because he rebels against them, but he's not strong enough. Now, Israel had tried to go to Egypt for help. Egypt is not as powerful as it once was at this point. Isn't it ironic that Israel, who was rescued from Egypt, would in their last days go back to Egypt and try and get help from them? could have called to the Lord, and I say that because of this next section. Sennacherib threatens Jerusalem. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. They called for the king and Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shepna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to them. 
The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. This is not good news, but it's also not true. It, it's interesting that this is the way that powerful countries talk when they think they have no one who can defeat them, and that is where Assyria finds itself at this time. They say, are you going to depend on Egypt? <laughs> Egypt, boy, they are past their prime. They're going to fail you. We've come to destroy you, and what are you going to do, call on the Lord? Isn't that the God whose high places Hezekiah removed? Well, no, as it turns out, that is not the, that is not the case. They were misinformed there. But then they also make this bold claim, a lie, by the way. Not everything that people tell you, even people in power, is true. And this is a lie. But it's a good lie, right? It's the kind of lie that strikes fear. And what they're trying to do, and what often people will do to shore up their own power base, is to make you afraid. In this case, they're trying to make them afraid of the army. They're even offering them, if you can give me 2,000 people, I'll give you horses so you can fight against me because you are so weak compared to me. But it continues. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, And Shebna and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people on the wall. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the people sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death." Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered this land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath 
and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his hand from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And so this is the boast of the commander, and he makes it very intentionally in Hebrew so that everybody who is on the wall can hear it. He is trying to discourage them. He is painting for them a picture of life and of death. Life under the good kingship of Assyria, and death if they oppose him. Life, by the way, in some other place. I don't know if you caught that. You will eat from your own fig tree, but it's not going to be here. You're going to be a land like like your own. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you someplace else. I'm going to split you up, basically, so you can't rebel against me. I'm going to put you in this family over in that city, in the Medes, and I'm going to take you from that family. I'm going to put you over there. And that's what happened to Israel. And he points out that all of these other gods, those gods who we saw listed in the last chapter, that the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, when they got there, they set up their own idols to their own gods, the gods who could not save them. And so this commander points that out, that sure, they worshipped other gods, even some, like the Savarvaim, by sending their children through the fire, but those gods were impotent. Those gods did not save them. But, it says, but the people remained silent and said nothing in reply, because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. Why do they come with their clothes torn? Because they have heard this commander blaspheme the Lord their God. And they've also heard some really scary things. Again, the purpose of those scary things was just that, to scare them, to change their behavior through fear. And fear is a tactic still used today. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And thanks so much for listening. The love of God is immeasurable. It's unchanging. It's indescribable. Because God loves you so much, you can sleep through the night in peace. With Abide Bible Sleep Meditation, you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on Scripture. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Bible Sleep Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.